laut of Singapore, who are they? They are in our history textbooks, as everyone would know when Raffles was here in our official narrative. The island was empty and he saw 30 orang laut, I believe that's the official number. Of course, we know there are a lot of holes in that narrative which has, which has officially been debunked, I think, in the Bicentennial Report or Bicentennial Study in 2019. But regardless, Hello everyone, welcome to episode 71. Today I am delighted because we will be having Firdaus from Orang Laut SG and he will be educating us on what exactly, who exactly are the Orang Laut, what does he and his organization, uh, his movement stand for, if you can call it that. And I am quite excited to actually learn from him because I know very little about about his uh, organization and and the narratives that they are trying to challenge. Hi, Fedos. Hello. Hi. Hi. You, you hi. Can you hear me well? I can. Can you hear right. me? All right. Good. Yes. Yes. First of all, thank you for doing this. Uh, you are very game to do it. So I'm <laughs> I'm very uh, delighted and honored. So so let's get to it, right? So uh, and by way of introducing yourself as well, what is Orang Laut SG about? Who are the Orang Laut? And what is your your personal background? What's your relations to the to the community of Orang Laut uh, in Singapore? If you could explain. Thank you for the questions. Um, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start? Um, maybe just introduce who I am. My name is Fedaus. So, and um, my organization is Orang Laut SG. Maybe just focusing on who I am as a person. I am a fourth generation Orang Laut, Orang Pulau descendant. Um, my grandfather. My grandparents actually used to live on Pulau Smakau before they were asked to live in 1977. Um, so, who are the Orang Laut? Um, I cannot speak on behalf of every Orang Laut tribe in Singapore, but I think it comprises of different groups. So, we have the Orang Kalang, uh, we have the Orang Selat, which is based in uh, Malaysia as of now, so currently, and they're one of the uh, 18 groups of Orang Asli. And um, we also have the Orang Gelam and um, Orang Selita as well. Sorry, I mentioned Selita. So the Orang Selat are basically the southern people, right? Um, people of the south, basically. Selat means south. And um, also, just a the caveat, I'm not an anthropologist, I'm not a historian. So this is me coming, um, sharing with you guys about what I care about because of my heritage. So these Orang Selat, some of them have been, uh, has resettled at uh, the southern islands. And from then, they were known as Orang Pulau which my family is currently, um, you know, identifying themselves as a former Orang Pulau, actually. Yeah, which means islanders. Okay. So, can, can, can I ask, uh, Fedos, what's sure. the, is it a subset of Malays or is it separate from Malays? How do Orang uh, Pulau or Orang Laut see themselves? That's a really good question because the thing is, it's about identity, right? Yeah. So, um, the Nusantara is a very white one and um, I spoke to a couple of the Orang Pulau community in Singapore and they refer to themselves as Malays, um, primarily Malays, uh, who, you know, have coastal community livelihoods, uh, or from the coastal communities rather. And um, interestingly, I've, I've spoken to people of um, the other parts of uh, Nusantara, like Orang Bajau as well, and they call themselves the, the Bajau people. Orang Bajau, so they're not Malays, they're the Bajau, Bajauans. So actually, I think it's really interesting about identity as well. 
Um, but in Singapore, we are primarily Malays. We are of the Malay community. And um, there's also different groups and tribes of the, the Sukus, basically the, the different tribes. So they have uh, currently in Indonesia, the Orang Suku Laut, we shall still see Paris. And um, recently with, I think, Dr. Cynthia Chow, we did a visitation to Bintan and visited one of the tribes uh, in Bintan, the Orang Suku Laut. And interestingly, you know, they, they refer to themselves as Orang Suku Laut and not of a race. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So what's, what's this distinctive if the Orang Laut in Singapore identify themselves as Malays? Right, so it's a subset of Malays, right? So what's distinctive about the Orang Laut that separates themselves from other Malays, I suppose? Okay. Um, I cannot say on behalf of all the Orang Laut communities because we have different tribes. But the Orang Pulau themselves, they refer themselves as the Orang Pulau and uh, because of where they, they were situated. And in terms of their livelihoods and the kind of uh, beliefs that they have, the traditions that they adhere to back then, um, I think Orang Pulau... Uh, identify themselves as islanders basically even when they moved to Singapore they still had a very strong community where they talk about you know past lives or rather like the times on the island and uh, looking into these communities right they bonded through displacement actually because when they were displaced they actually moved to different parts of Singapore so they actually moved mostly at Teluk Blanga area, different parts of Teluk Blanga. And um, the Orang Pulau community actually would identify themselves based on the language, the way they talk. Um, you know, I live in Teluk Blanga um, since I was born actually and moved to oh. Jurong till 10 years, I think at the age of 10. Oh, so you, mm. you moved to Jurong? Oh, yeah, I moved I'm, to Jurong. Uh, I'm so, sorry to hear that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, why? Uh, why? Why Teluk Blangah specifically? Why? Why did many orang pulau go there? Okay. Uh, okay. So the thing is, when they were asked to move to Singapore, right, they were given a few places to move to. Uh, right. Most of um, you know places with rented flats um, because of the income group they were supposedly in. And um, one of them was actually Tuat Blanga. We have West Coast, we have, we have Pandan Gardens as well. And um, most of them chose Tuat Blanga because it was really near West Coast Park. That's where they actually dock their boats. If you go to West Coast Park today, which is Pasir mm. Panjang, you can actually see the boats there. And um, because of the arrangement back then with uh, the then MP Othman Wok, Mr. Othman Wok, um, they actually got the rights to park their boats there. Um, you know, so they could actually take a bus, travel down. Uh, they wanted to really near, live near the coastal areas la, and Toblanga was one of them. And um, I think I've also spoken to a few people from the Brani side, uh, Pulau Brani, and they mentioned that, you know, it's because from from uh, Toblanga, which is Toblanga Crescent specifically, you can actually see uh, Pulau Brani, um, which is ah, very near. Okay. Yeah. So, so obviously from the, from the name itself, the sea is an important part of uh your the the tribe's existence right so is it still is there still that connection today even after urbanization and modernization so for someone like yourself fourth generation so maybe a bit far removed from the past is there still that connection there um for myself definitely yes because of my grandfather when he was asked to move you know to mainland in 1977 my grandparents were actually the last one to leave so they would go back to the island, you know, they, they moved the entire family of 10 
of 12 actually they had 10 children moved to one room flat and my grandfather said you know what the city's heir is not for him he want to go back to where he can actually um, make a livelihood um, so he went back at sea he stayed on Pulau Smakau even though it was everything was you know um, left des deserted so because of that because of his little defiance i got to visit him and he brought me to the islands so i, I grew up visiting plus Macau a lot and there's other southern islands and um before it was fully a uh, block talk um to be turned into a landfill and because of that i grew this connection with the sea and my brothers as well he still works at sea uh, because he, mm. he loves fishing you know and all of this because of like our upbringing um right. there are still a, a small community of individuals who are going out there fishing they have, still have boats there um uh, this number is depleting because uh the orang lama the, the old folks are dying off right i mean they die off a lot of these individuals um go away with them um, meaning when they were given the rights to actually dock their boats uh, a lot of these issues came about as well because uh, the, the 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 rights die off with them right. so they don't have the rights right. anymore so yeah, so that one was ad hoc, or it was on a what gentleman's agreement by Osman Wu, or what? What was it? Because he's not codified, or he's not in contract. To, to what I know, it was more of a verbal agreement. Right. But of course, later on, they were asked to uh, make it official. So they actually go through the proper routes with our MPA to get a license, to, and and you know the entire process came about. I mean, in Singapore, right? So licensing yeah, yeah. will happen. In, in, anyway, um, but I think based on you know the, the different consensus we have we've gotten from the community says that uh, you know if someone dies off, yeah. And for example, my uncle died off. Like I think he died, passed on two years ago, and um, I think we wanted to have the license to be passed down to another family member, but we are not allowed to. So I think it's more of like you know making sure that we are we are still able to have access to see and if it's not going to be west coast park where is it but as much as we know that will be alternatives we still want to retain west coast park because it was really important to the community because there's a lot of people who are, who are still going out at sea and it become a you know a little uh, little space for them to meet that make their maritime craft and um i think west coast park is one of the highly important places for the community because a lot of community members will still go out there uh, wait for their loved ones to go at sea you know to, to, to wait for them to gather uh, the cats from their booboos and all that so it's a very important space for the community how, how big is this community um i cannot quantify in numbers but i think looking into active community members if you look into the boats they are scattered across west coast park right the small little segment there it used to be an entire beach lah. right now it has been turned to water breakers and um, we have a small area and you can actually count it's about 30 boats or so so um you know very little numbers but um, we have family members who would say hey can i borrow a boat uh i still want to go at sea you know they would bring them fishing etc so i think it's more of like you know having access and um, the right is usually quite Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So I think that's a good segue into the the next question. So what does your organization intend to achieve? Right. Because I think your your website also talks about reclaiming the narrative. Right. So what is that narrative that you wanna reclaim? <laughs> so difficult <laughs> questions for <Lee. laughs> 
Okay, so uh, we actually we started in 2020, and then we started as a page to just share the narrative of Pulau Smokau. You know, um, during COVID, you somehow look inwards mm. and look into like what's happened to you. And um, you know, I was having food. My mom and she would cook, and she would tell me all the stories about the the stories behind the food, like how she used to gather certain pieces of fish, and how she used to gather seaport, etc. You know, all these things I've heard from her before, but. This time around, I really listened. I was like, you know what? I think we need to somehow tell people that Pulau Smokau is more than landfill. And that's why we started. And from then on, uh, we used Instagram as just a way to actually talk about the island. And um, also with food, we use food as a vehicle to share our narratives. Uh, because Singaporeans love food, right? So I thought that was a low-hanging fruit. And today, I think it has grown to a few things. Uh, Orang Lao SG is now a collective where we want to work with other islanders as well to push for a little bit of advocacy as well. Um, but I think we want to make sure that their concerns, uh, their challenges are being heard and uh, we want to be able to preserve these spaces. So what Orang Lao SG has been doing for the last three years is that um, we have been working with um, schools to create programs, tours, and um, I think uh, we've been working with other institutions as well, like NTU and NUS, to help them with research, you know, in, in any any capacity that we could. And um, we also have been dabbling with arts as well. So we wanted to recognize that some of the culture or traditions are intangible cultural heritage that should be preserved. And this is, in a way, art form making a booboo trap in its own is uh, is an art form because it's a lost art and not many people who have access to the sea knows how to make uh, a booboo trap for example. So um, moving forward we are going to set up a non-profit and uh, this non-profit is going to be focused on um, preserving our culture, making sure that we're able to work with uh, institutions to look into cultural preservation and uh, we support them in any way possible as well. I think for us is making sure that um, our history is not forgotten, the Orang Pulau history, because a lot of southern islands has been um, turned into something else. Petrochemical spaces has been turned into, you know, a landfill. And um, if you look into Jurong Island, which made up of about, I think, 13 islands or 14, um, you know, all of these stories, um, I, I, I know that um, some of the researchers are doing a lot of groundwork to find out where these individuals are still living. So I think for us, it's more of like, can we be um, an arm to actually support and connect the community members to researchers because we, we do want to preserve our history. And um, also on the topic of reclaiming narrative is hearing from these individuals about what the islands meant to them. Are there any secret spaces? What kind of uh, areas of interest that they had for the island itself through their eyes because they were the first occupants this narrative from them is reclaiming this narrative. Um, St. John's is not St. John's, St. John's is Pulau Sikijang Pelepa, Pulau Sikijang Bendera, right? So I think all these narratives um, are something that we need to preserve. La. And oral history is really as important as recorded history. Yeah, that's that, that's fascinating, right? Because I don't know, it's, it's because of the scientific revolution or the way the way that we think about oral history is always secondary to recorded history right when for most of human history oral history has been an important the primary uh, mode of transmission of knowledge you you mentioned secret spaces uh do you want to elaborate on that i mean what when because 
I know people who are connected to nature. They have a very, um, they revere nature in ways that uh, urban people do not, right? Uh, and you still see this uh, even in developed countries. You you see this in uh, in the more rural areas, right? There's a reverence for nature. So is that what you were talking about when you're talking about sacred space? I mean, it's a it's a, a little bit of a touchy subject because you know we these places or secret spaces are very personal to the community. Uh, sometimes you don't even want to reveal. Uh, right. They don't, they don't acknowledge it because for the fear of um, them being viewed as un-Islamic in a sense, mm. right? But I think these are all beliefs that they had on the island. Um, and secret spaces look into places that uh, harbor other beings and also meant something um, for their family. Oh. Um, it could be a portal to another worldly world um you know to the other worldly so or looking into a tree that could actually grant wishes i'm just citing some examples right. uh, but there are secret spaces that are, are in all the islands themselves um i think a lot of times when we look into these islands we, we see them as a possibly destination spots uh but i think these narratives are important because like you know these secret spaces actually shape who who they are and who they were basically and also looking to like how they respond to nature um you know one example i could give is um, the different terumbus on the island uh terumbus mean coral areas right some terumbus you cannot um, go at specific time because they believe that there are protectors guarding the space and you cannot fish more than you should so it's really interesting that you know all of these beliefs are intangible cultural heritage that could, should be documented and respected as well because in that sense you know these are all sacred spaces um yeah i think the, that would be one of few things that i would love to highlight but of course with the permission of the islanders right okay Thank you. So I, I completely agree with you about the importance of preserving narratives and history, right? But if I were to channel my um, typical Singaporean self, right? Um, so what if <laughs> a normal, uh, a typical Singaporean would say, yes, I mean, that's, that's unfortunate, but that's the price we pay for development, right? How, how would you respond to that? Like, or oh, that's just a price we pay for the development, right? So people had to be moved out of their homes. I mean, it happened even on mainland, you know, uh, land uh, reclamation act and so on. So how would you respond to that? Um, yeah, I think this response is not uniquely just for the Southern Islanders, um, you know, but Orang actually focuses on, uh, on Southern Islands because uh, we, I, I came from, that came from a place that is really important to me. And how would I would respond is I think every narrative is important, and um, we look into like what's recorded on the islands themselves. Uh, unfortunately, I would say that's not much. I came from the community, so I think it's important to look, you know, in a way, look from their perspective and how these islands are important to them, and listen to their narratives as well. If not, it's, it'd be lost, lah. Um, you know, for me, this is my personal, personal journey, right? Looking into like why these, these narratives are so important and also hearing all of these voices hearing about their pain and the challenges and the traumas they face because of displacement and that holds a lot of value to me and um, you know i could also say the same to people who displace on other parts of singapore as well it holds a lot of value but ultimately um have we done enough to actually preserve these narratives and um you know and and could we work better could we look into acknowledging that displacement happened 
there are impacts of displacement. And right. I think impacts of displacement doesn't only stop at the islanders themselves, but also, um, you know, the, the next generation, their, their grandchildren, sometimes may still live in poverty. For my grandmother, who lived at Loplanga, they are still living there. And, um, you know, I could also say that a lot of these trickle to the grandchildren and different parts of the community as well, uh, who are still living in poverty stricken areas, uh, unfortunately. But of course, there are success stories as well. They have adapted. But I don't think, you know, they have an even playing field. So what can we do to actually address these gaps? What kind of assessments do we need to look into? You know, assess if displacement actually happen and these are the impacts. So that's one of the things that we want to do around our SG as well, through our non-profit. Uh, we want to make sure that um, there would be um, areas that we could actually support these community members, it be it, you know, monetarily, be it any sort of like financial aid, or you know, even supporting them on um, on the basis of education. Um, I think a lot of them would benefit from that as well. Could, could you elaborate on that, the displacement leading to second or third gen uh, poverty? Because that's that's a structural issue, right? <laughs> it is a structural issue, I think. Um, but I think I could only say on behalf of what I know, which is my immediate family members. So I think um, my grandparents had 10 children. And out of the 10 children, we have so many grandchildren. Uh, well, I think 40, 50. But unfortunately, I'm the only one who graduated from with a degree. Um, I think it speaks a lot in volumes, actually, um, because we look into their hardships. They are on survival mode, and and the, my grandparents had to still work till like I think their sixties, I believe, and, and going out there catching fish. And this trickled down to people like my mom, who actually didn't have a lot of education on the island, and um, you know, they actually took a lot of pride when working on the island. But when we moved to mainland Singapore they had to take odd jobs, you know, because of education level and, you know, trying to educate us as as as, as, as good as possible. And I think they, they did try, but ultimately, it's, you know, it's, it, you're right, it's a structural issue as well, but I would say they didn't have the guidance, they didn't have um, the opportunities that others may have. And um, I think there were a lot of social stigmas as well that comes with displacement um, when people see them as lesser and uh, you know psychologically they think that they are lesser as well mm. and they have suppressed identities and you know of course this would come from my personal experience i could say very different about other community members um you know but from what we have been doing and also talking to who we've been talking to i think a lot of sentiments are the same um, and and this comes from you know, many, many different interviews that we had um, with different individuals. Uh, if, let's say, you were still living on the island, do you think you, your life would have been different? Um, there was a lot of questions we asked. And I think they said, yeah, definitely, they would still live on the island. They would think that they would be more comfortable on the island as compared to living in Singapore because of the challenges they faced when moving to mainland Singapore. Everything is expensive and adapting was difficult as well. Yeah, so I would say it had uh, some effect you know, uh, definitely the next generation would, could be impacted as well. Okay, thank you so much. So, you mentioned a few times that uh, it's important to preserve the the oral history and the narrative, right? So, 
are you are you doing that now are you talking to the elders and documenting them and uh, can we expect like a book or something from you <laughs> yeah yeah i'm do- documenting them um i think uh, i thought i thought a couple of times about publishing a book but um right now i realize that as as we interview more people there are more narratives to unearth. <laughs> so I don't know where to start. So, so you're publishing books, basically, not a book. <laughs> we start. Let's start with a book. <laughs> One book. See how it works. Um, okay. I think we, we, we want to make sure that uh, the narratives are you know properly represented, lah, and and uh, the the flow of things as well. I want to make sure that we start with Blaus uh, Macau because that's what I know, and the people of my family knows. Blaus Macau best, and of course, you know the people who actually live around there, which is Blaus Saking, Blaus Bukom, etc. We did interview them. We interviewed them as well, but a lot, a lot of this Orang Lama has long past, you know, and and we are against time lah. So we're trying to find and mm. and locate individuals who are willing to speak to us as well. Right. So how do you feel when you you know you read our textbook, right? Like uh, Raffles founded Singapore, and there were thirty Orang Laut. Right. That's when <laughs> when you were reading that when you were growing up. Did that ever resonate with you in a way that i mean for for other singaporeans just oh okay yeah you know to be honest i when i was growing up um i didn't even register in my head that was mm. a thing um whatever they were feeding us or rather right. like what, what they, were, they, were, they were teaching us <laughs> um we'll take it as fact right I, i didn't question it um I think it's only later in my twenties that I thought about actually what about our narrative? What about my family's narrative? And the stories that they've been telling me, um, you know, about how they were affected by confrontation once upon a time, how they weren't allowed to go fishing uh, because of the curfews that were in place. Uh, what about this narrative? So I started to question about uh, are there alternative narratives of the Orang Pulau or Orang Laut community that hasn't been unearthed? Um, but when I was growing up, um, you know, I did face a few stigmas but i didn't actually thought about you know the the education that I was being given at the point of time um because maybe i was really young like i wasn't aware uh but the stigmas i faced was that uh, i would tell them that oh last weekend i actually went out at sea uh with my grandparents that i saw dolphins racing our boat and no one believed me they were like uh, you know they were like no lah we got singapore we got dolphins sort of thing but there's really uh, dolphins back then lah Oh, so you, um, you know, so you saw dolphins quite often last time. Um, they are rare, but there were dolphins. Sometimes when we go out, I'd see um, you know, with our sampan, right? And then there will be dolphins racing our sampans. So wow, really, really fun. Um, but you know, this is the kind of things, lah. But people won't believe because you know, southern islands are a bit far fetched, and then that's also I realized that actually, yeah, I had to really you know reinforce that. These are my experience and my journey, right. my peers, uh, because also they were kids, lah. So right, I'm, right, I'm right. not sure fully believe me as well. Right. Oh, fascinating stuff. I I actually didn't know that that uh, you could see dolphins in the wild in Singapore. But now now I I presume uh, it doesn't happen anymore. Oh. Oh, lesser definitely. I think um, if you look at the southern islands, uh, or rather just going to West Coast Park, you see so many ships. Mm. Definitely the water. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so there is a question or comment uh, by Professor Chia to think about how the CMIO model serves to both institutionalize difference, but also flattens and simplifies the diversity we have. 
And I presume uh, in this particular case, she is talking about the diversity within the Malay category. And amongst the three categories, actually the Malays are the most homogeneous, right? But even within this homogeneous category, there's still a lot of diversity there. I mean, what you just mentioned is so fascinating. It's not the typical Malay experience, I suppose, that people would uh, associate with what they think of uh, when they uh, when the term Malay is, uh, is brought to mind. Uh, do you want to comment on that? I think there are a lot of subgroups, you know, like what you mentioned. And um, there are, of course, more apparent ones. The CMIO model, it worked once upon a time when I think when Singapore was, Singapore gained its independence. But I think now we need to acknowledge that there are different subgroups and just pigeonholing these individuals just within the CMIO model is doing our community or rather Singapore disservice because there's so many different cultures to celebrate and looking into just the Malay subgroups right we have the Boyanese, the Japanese, the, the Minangkabaos, the Orang Pulau, Orang Lao community so I think it's really interesting that if you could actually you know focus on and these subgroups and their narratives and their differences and where they, they, they used to live or come from I think there'll be interesting way to actually acknowledge that you know we are, we come from a myriad of cultures and differences it's like same same but different right but I think uh, what we also need to do is um, look into how we can actually help to preserve love um, the how is very important right and moving forward because we, to be honest, a lot of the Orang Lama has long passed. And I think the things that we can actually do now is unfortunately not much. Um, and, and I would really love for us to actually work with institutions, uh, work with um, other groups who are also trying to preserve cultures and narratives. So I think there's many things we can actually do, um, but there's only so much we can do, right. <laughs> unfortunately. Right. So, so that's that's another question i had so tangibly how how could we do this like how could we retain this uh this culture or or how could we promote the the narratives i mean I, i'm sure you I, I don't know whether you have talked to i don't know nhb or even nlb or all these all these institutions that that are officially uh in invested in all of this i have you explored those options as well um i I think NHP has been supportive. Okay. Um, so we've been working. We think the first year we launched, we worked with them on Singapore Heritage Festival, and you know they acknowledge what we're trying to do using political show narratives, and um, but you know this is more of like a more festival centric kind of approach. Uh, but of course we, we we look into how we can preserve. Uh, internally as an organization is that we need to acknowledge there are heritage spaces that needs to be protected um, so moving forward protecting these spaces means protecting our communities right to go out and see as well like west coast park is one of them i think we acknowledge that west coast park is important so how what can we do to preserve them and um, also looking at the southern islands as well uh, a lot of the southern islands now are very inaccessible except for like the main Kusu. St. John's, Lazarus, etc. But I think, you know, moving forward, it will be turned into um, a recreational space. Um, but what can we actually do more to actually acknowledge the heritage and culture part um, of the islands and the, the islanders who used to live there? So um, I think for me, also looking into getting this narrative into the mainstream education, um, I think 
for us making sure that we could work with educators. So so far, when we work with educators, it's very ad hoc. They would work with us because we can share a little bit more about the, our narratives or families' narratives. But other than that, we hope to really curate programs that could actually be used and also shared amongst different schools at, at large. Now. So I think that's one of the main goals that we have as well. Education is one way, uh, preserving space is one way. Also looking into like um, acknowledging that um, there are individuals who are still um, practicing the island traditions, we need to support them in any ways possible. So I think uh, some ways that they can support them is to not restrict them as much. Right. <laughs> um, uh, I think a lot of the speakers have been gazetted um, as uh, protected areas. Uh, you know, rightly so because some of these spaces, uh, because the, because of like um, the ecology within those areas, they are protected. Uh, but I think you need to also acknowledge that these individuals, when they go out fishing, uh, they are not destroying nature. Um, there's this very strong notion that, notion that you know, because they're going to see the place in the booboo traps, they are doing their recreational fishing. They are actually destroying nature. But actually, uh, this has very low impact if you compare it to like trawling, for example. Right. But and and this is also a cultural tradition. Um, and and how do you draw the lines between these two? And also from the. From what you mentioned earlier, you just mentioned it in passing. It seems like the practices of fishing that were done were quite were done in sustainable ways. Of course, I mean it's a it's a post hoc uh, usage of that that term. But you you mentioned in uh, in your answer to my question on sacred spaces, you mentioned there are some coral areas where they are not allowed to go, uh, and you are not allowed to fish more. You mentioned that you are not allowed to fish more than what you need or something. Um, yeah, I think that's a belief, basically. Right. So I think... Right. So the, it, it the, seems the, like it's done in a very sustainable manner, right? Yeah. So there's, there's no question of environmental degradation or something, right? Correct. So I think what I would say is when we go out fishing, right, my, my grandfather would tell me that that you cook enough, enough, right. enough, take it, whatever you need, leave it for the next person, mm. you know, leave it for a person who will come back there tomorrow at the same spot. So we can it's always kind of be greedy. La. So when you, you and you're greedy, Something bad will happen to you, right. I believe, you know, so you cannot take more than you should, more than you need, basically. And also, uh, they, they, they understand the waters really well. So, you know, they, they would actually, when they go out fishing, what they would uh, do is look at different terumbus or areas, uh, depending on the seasons or the wind, you know, whether it's a east wind, north wind, etc., will bring about a different sort of fish. And um, it's, everything is seasonal, right? And, right. and let's say... Um, um, rainy season, people would actually assume that oh, you know, monsoon season you cannot actually fish. Which you can, you can, you could actually fish for the tengiris uh, at different parts of the island or m mostly closer to the Riau side. So um, because that's actually one of the ways that they sustain themselves as well. Have you inherited that acumen? Like, are you as familiar around the waters yourself? Uh, my brother is unfortunately not me. Um, I think I, I try to learn as much as possible from him, but my brother is more of a, um, experts la, of my, in my family. And I think um, other than, you know, these acumens, they could, he also trying to learn, he is also trying to learn different sort of skills, like uh, de-poisoning pufferfish, for example. Mm. So mm. this would be a skill that is you know, uniquely to the coastal communities in the Nusantara. So we have the people of Bajau and the Orang Skulaut who also knows how to do it. They cook it very different. They also have different beliefs of when you consume pufferfish, there are different um, 
warnings. Um, so, so the patuas basically, you cannot, you cannot uh, drink coffee. You cannot. Uh, you have to pee before you consume it, and after, not you know, it will kill you. Things like that. So they have different set of rules when cooking of a fish, and and these kind of things we learned because we probably growing up. These are the kind of things that my mom, my mom would tell me. But the skills of depoisoning, find locating the poison, cooking it. I think all of these things take a lot of time and um, if we do not have access to catch a puffer fish because it's not open tea soap right we we will in time lose the the, the, the ways of um, uh, knowing how to remove the puffer fish poison flap so i think it's such a problem if you can learn but if you've got right. a puffer fish to practice on <laughs> and how do you continue <laughs> right 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 that's that's really fascinating stuff thank you thank you for that so is there any tangible policy change that you like to see that you can say that okay, Orang Laut SG has been successful, or is it uh, more about raising awareness and uh, or maybe, maybe it's both, right? Because you did talk about going to schools and educating uh, younger children about uh, the the history of this important group, the in, uh, subset of the indigenous people in Singapore. Um. I think one of the things that we are trying to do is to really celebrate our culture and um, one of the efforts that we're trying to focus on is to push for Islanders Day or Hari Orang Pulau. So um, Hari Orang Pulau, you know, there are two objectives. One is of course raising awareness and the other one is to look into like the uniqueness of the coastal communities of the Orang Pulau community in Singapore. And um, it, with that, we are pushing it next year in June. Um, and then we are trying to create a slew of programs where we're going to invite uh, speakers, we're going to invite experts to talk about the uniqueness of the coastal communities of the Southern Islands and also the wider Nusantara. And uh, we're also hoping to do a cross-community sharing where we try to invite, um, I think, the Teochews, the Hokkien's, to see whether or not the correlations or overlaps within or intersections between like our communities, right? Because the Teochews actually owned a lot of the big ships once upon a time. They actually uh, dabbled with um, the Orang Pulau community as well, and you know they they become they became the the the, the sellers, resellers rather of, of, of the goods that they were caught now. So I think um, we we hope to unearth these cross community stories as well. But uh, Hari Orang Pulau is a celebration of our unique culture, and we hope to push it next year and um, one of the partners we're looking at is to work with uh, Sentosa because we don't have access to a lot of the islands so we want to celebrate it on an island and um, I think in I'm not sure if you know this in 1970s they had Pista 5S uh, Sukan 5S so Pista 5S was initiated by Otman Wok as well the late Otman Wok the MP so uh, they had um, Sudong Seking Sekijang uh, all the 5S's right uh, compete it's like a, a sea games of sort right so right. we cannot replicate them because they had they had jong races there are a lot of water activities also land activities as well so what we will try to do is to do like a perhaps a similar but land version of that but focusing on a few parts which is art uh, culture food heritage as a try and also stories like um you know it's a celebration for the islanders as well and when i spoke to the islanders what they wanted to do is uh, can you please bring the real islanders to come to celebrate with us uh, because they, they has this they have this session called joget 
Jogi means dance lah. Mm. So uh, a lot of the Southern Islands will actually go to Riau to do this Jogi thing. Uh, even today, uh, when they have a Jogi, right, this activity, they will actually uh, in- invite um, a few coastal community bands to perform. So we are hoping what, to do that. What what type of Jogi is it? Um, um, I think there is. What type of Jogi of it? Uh, oh my God. Uh, Joget lambak, lambak basically. Okay, joget lambak. Yeah, yeah. So everybody uh, joget together, yeah, dancing mm. together, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I I attended a wedding once in Malaysia where there was joget lambak. Yeah. Um. So, uh, fascinating. So this is in June next year. How right. many people in your organization? It seems like you guys are doing a lot of things. Yeah, crazy. How can you? <laughs> How many people are, are doing all of these things? Um, uh, I think right now we are setting up our non-profit. So I think uh, with that, we are trying to get more volunteers. So we are mostly volunteer run. Uh, primarily, we have about a group of less than five individuals. Wow. Uh, but these are all ad hoc because we are still a collective. But once we have a non-profit and we have funding, we hope to actually hire people on a full-time basis. So yeah. in- interviews, uh visit schools, write a book, organize uh, Orang Pulau Day. <laughs> <laughs> That's on my to-do list, but yeah, if, uh, if anyone wants to help, let me know. <laughs> oh, the book is not on your to-do but list yet, is it? It's oh. on my to-do oh, list. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay, okay. Right, right, right. So, uh, Sentosa, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting choice, right? Uh, wouldn't you say Sentosa is the, it represents the opposite of what the Orang Pulau stands for a way of life. I mean, it's a complete uh, reversal of what it's supposed to be like, right? I would say um, I take what we can get at this point because if you look at um, what we have, a lot of it has changed. From And Sentosa, there are some parts that are still original and not reclaimed. And also, it was one of the southern islands as well. So we need to acknowledge mm. that it was one of the Southern Islands. If it's not Sentosa, it could also be St. John's or Lazarus. Um, but then we look into access because a lot of these old individuals, right, when they go to these islands, um, it's a bit hard for them to travel. So we also need to take that into consideration. But one thing that we wanted to also consider is actually West Coast Park to have an event there at West Coast Park uh, because the community members are still there. Um, but then it looks into the idea of cost because we have to create structures and the cost is going to be so crazy. So we want to make sure that you know everything is uh, low in cost, making sure everyone has access to it. So it's going to be a free event where we really our main focus is to educate, raise awareness, and celebrate our culture. So, um, And Sendosa Development Group, uh, a corporation, I think they have been quite supportive of the idea and I think they, they wanted to also like you know work with us on this. Uh, but of course our objective is to really like we need to focus on the Southern Islands narrative. Like, um, we have a lot of say in the content that goes out. So I think it's a win for us because you know we have the space and we are also partnering with uh, Sentosa who also wants to acknowledge that islander history as well. So I think yeah a lot of it have been reclaimed you know, fake beaches and stuff like that but what can we do for it? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened already, so it's it's great right. that they they want to acknowledge it, right? Mm. I mean, I I didn't know that, but but that's that's fantastic, right? That's uh, that's progress, I suppose. So so you started, you said you only started doing this in 2020, 2021 during COVID. 2020 during COVID, yeah. Right, and within three years, it has it has become, I I won't say like huge, but it's become significant enough for people to know about it. Right? 
Yeah, I think thankfully, you know, individuals are supporting us. They, they want to hear our narrative. And uh, because of that, we also have um, other islanders of our descendants came up to us say that we're from this island, from this island, which is really, you know, interesting for us. So because of that, we actually started um, this event called Panglan Anak Pulau, where we work with other descendants to so actually push for a day to reclaim our narrative. But that, was, that happened like in June, uh, sorry, July this year, where we had an event at the projector. And that's why we announced that we want to push for Islanders Day next year. Lah. Uh, so we want to keep up this momentum. We want to work with more Islanders um, and, and just acknowledge that uh, Islander culture can still remain and be celebrated. So, yeah, in three years is crazy, a short amount of time, so I'm counting my blessings. Uh, but we want to keep up the momentum, and make sure that we're able to, you know, exist uh, in future as well, because, you know, a lot of spaces are turning into different things, uh, as you know. So I look forward to what the Forward SG plan going to be like in future. <laughs> right, right, right. And... I mean, I mean, it has to. I mean, it has to incorporate these different voices and narratives, right? And and it's not like you are doing anything super controversial or uh, or what. I think it is uh, the the way you are doing about uh, going about it is also. I think it's uh, it's very legal, but also <laughs> I think it's it's non confrontational, non controversial. So so you, when you were talking about um, gathering all the other. Uh, anak pulau, right? Uh, so, uh, what, what is your sense amongst the younger ones? Is there that similar desire on your part? I mean, your passion, I mean, it's it's clear, it's palpable. But do you see this amongst the others as well? Or is it, oh yeah, it's our history, but, you know, if we, we, we know it, we know it. If not, it's fine. We don't lose anything. I think um, definitely there will be detachment because they didn't access to the islands like how I did when I was younger. Um, but I think there is a strong sense of trying to reclaim their identity. Um, the younger individuals, I th we, we spoke to a few who were descendants of Pulau Sudong, and um, they mentioned that, oh, I didn't know this until my mom, which is As Asnida Daud, actually talk about the islands and everything for it. So I think a lot of the descendants who are trying to push for it, they somehow have a positive impact on the younger generation, thankfully. And, you know, there are different people doing great work. And I think we have people from Pulau Brani, like uh, the descendants who actually published a book on Pulau Brani as well. Um, you know, they, 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 were, they started this like SG50 many, many years ago. Mm. And, you know, we, we, we try to look into like what kind of things that have been done. And um, I think they are also part of SG50 group, um, SG50, um, there was a group that actually did uh, SG, SG Nation, is it? Island Nation, sorry, Island Nation. Yeah, they, they document, documented a lot of um, Islanders' history. And um, that was the work of Sakura Zainal, I believe, and his peers from NTU. Uh, that was a really, really great project because my grandmother and my uncle was interviewed. I didn't know until, like, you know, a couple of years back. Yeah, so I think there are really good things that have been put out there. But um, for us, it's making sure that the momentum stays on. Um, I wouldn't say that, you know, nothing has been done i think a lot of things have been done previously by different groups of people even you know uh looking into what dr vivian Wee has done um i think she did a lot of work trying to connect the orang suku laut of Riau to the southern islands as well and her i think she also stayed at i believe she did some research on plaster king right. uh, which i thought was really great yeah um i think many great things have been done we, we 
for now, we just hope to work with um, you know these individuals who have done a bit of work on their end and and try to collate everything together and and make sure that we are fronting it as a movement. So final question to you, Fidos. Uh, if there is one thing that you want Singaporeans to know about either your movement or about the Orang Pulau, uh, the, the Southerners, what would it be? Just one, one main thrust. What would it be? Um, I would say there are, there would be more to, to just the name of um, the Pulau that they know. I think um, we need to unearth these stories and the southern islands are not um, barren land. Uh, there used to be a lot of livelihood and traditions that were in place. So I would encourage them to find out more question uh, where these people went, what kind of stories they used to have. Um, and yeah, I think that's what I want people to know, you know. Um, questioning whether or not Sentosa was Sentosa. <laughs> 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 Lazarus Island, right? Even the yeah. name is already like, huh, that doesn't sound <laughs> yeah. doesn't sound very Singapore. Okay. Thank you so much for us. I really wish your project well and I mean hopefully in June when the Islanders Day uh, thing happens and we'll have you and other Islanders on as well again and I'll be uh, happy to support the initiative in whatever uh, where I can, but really, all the best. And when can we look forward to the book? <laughs> no pressure. This is a the soft time, launch, right? <laughs> the last time I give, I give a date, then it didn't happen. So I, I, I can't. <laughs> but uh, next couple of years, are you next within the next couple of years? Yeah, okay. For like two years already, so I think um, you know, hopefully soon now. Okay. Thank you so much for those. Thank you, Olive. Good night. Okay. Thank no you, problem. Bye bye.